Daily Cleveland Browns Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. How are you? Episode 120 of Locked On Browns, the Tuesday edition brought to you by MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. Uh, a little bit later, I'm going to hit you guys up and I'll give you the uh, my picks for the Thanksgiving games. I actually haven't been doing too bad, so if you guys have been following my advice there, uh, you know, it's actually working out for you. I, I seem to be able to, you know, give you two to three. When I pick in a smaller sample size, I'm usually pretty good. If uh, you want to see my sheet on a weekly basis, that's something you don't want to see. It's usually a train wreck. Uh, we're going to get into Bengals Browns this evening. Uh, I've gone to my favorite Bengals follow, Joe Goodberry. He uh, breaks down everything, does a really good job over at Bengals Wire. Uh, you can hear him a ton. I know, uh, you know, uh, I know he's big time on Locked On Bengals. I know he does a lot of work over there. You know, uh, you know anything Bengals related, any Bengals podcast, you can always find a way to hear Joe a couple times a week. Uh, Joe, first and foremost, uh, glad to have you. Uh, how's the fam? Uh, what's the plans for the week for Thanksgiving? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, typical Thanksgiving, I guess, going to the in-laws. And I'm not too excited because they don't cook well. <laughs> and so, oh, um, yeah. That's the biggest thing. There's so many takes about Thanksgiving. And look, I got lucky. And look, my mom can be a pain in the butt. She's 70 years old now. And and she's OCD out the yin-yang. But you want to know what? I'll treat her like a queen on Thanksgiving because the lady the lady gets it done in the kitchen. Yeah, that can that makes and breaks the holiday. It's not like that for other holidays. You, you can the have entire a good Christmas. Day is, the entire right. day is devoted to the meal. Right. And not everybody can cook. So it's, it's, you know, what are you supposed to do? You go and you choke down the dry chicken or dry turkey and the dry uh, stuffing and mashed potatoes. And you go home with leftovers that you don't want to eat. And exactly. yay, Thanksgiving. <laughs> Woohoo! Well, maybe the dog right. will eat this. Maybe, maybe the dog will eat this. Uh, we're going to get a little deeper this in here. Uh, you know, I guess, you know, first things first, uh, give me a little, I guess, uh, you know, like a, a basically a state of the union on the Bengals. And like I told you before we just kicked this off, I went back and double-checked, and I was like, the Bengals are actually 4-6? and six? I mean, they're in it, but, I mean, I, I tell you right now, I probably would have lost a bet if you told me their record was 4-6. and six. Yeah, I guess it's kind of surprising because at 3-6, and six, they were picking 5th projected at that point, and all of a sudden, 4-6, and six, you're one game out of the playoffs. So it was two different worlds just based on one win. Um, but all year it's been the same for the most part. They are a bad offense and historically bad. It's the worst rushing season in franchise history. Uh, the running backs are averaging just three yards per carry. It, it, the offensive line is a wreck, and they knew that coming in, and they knew it would be an issue. And they figured if we add weapons, if we have talent at almost every, you know, receiving position and tight end and running back with Joe Mixon and Giovanni Bernard, if we have that, we'd be able to mitigate the offensive line. And they have not been able to because they don't have the creativity on offense to do so. They don't have the quarterback really to do that either. So we know what Andy Dalton is in year seven. Uh, and while he doesn't take all the blame because the line is terrible, because the running backs haven't been able to do anything, and because you lose Tyler Eifer and can't find a way to get John Ross on the field, the offense is bad. It is a very bad unit. On the other hand, the defense is very, very good. And while not perfect because 
when you got good starters like Drake Kirkpatrick that will give up penalties or doesn't have the greatest ball skills so he can be beat on the deep ball, you're limited sometimes. Or you have a guy like George Iloka and Sean Williams, two good young safeties that have starting experience, but they're not really the playmakers. So, you know, it's a good defense. It's not an elite defense. And they're right now on, on this last five games, They've been out there 75 plays per game, and the the offense is only averaging about 55 plays per game. So they're playing way too much, and they're getting gassed towards the end of the uh, of the of the end of the game. And I, if this continues, what is an okay team right now in terms of being in position to maybe get a playoff spot? If this defense falls off because they're playing way too much, this is going to be a train wreck of a team, and 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 it could happen in a matter of weeks. Yeah, I mean, I go back to you know obviously uh, you know the Deshaun Watson first win. And they weren't able to put up any points that night. And look, I've never been an Andy Dalton guy. I think he shrinks in the big moment. And I think a lot of it got masked by the fact that he plays. And yeah, there's so many times where I just feel bad for A.J. Green. If he ever just had you know a month where he got to play with one of these upper echelon NFL quarterbacks, my God, I, I think he doesn't realize what it's like on the other side. <laughs> like that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think... Listen, Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, Odell Beckham, sometimes people forget A.J. Green, and I think he's as good as all of them. And it's because this offense is so limited and because the quarterback is limited and the structure of the offense, um, not to go derail the entire conversation, but they are a pre-snap offense. So whatever the defense shows pre-snap, the Bengals decide on what they're doing, basically, uh, as long as it matches up post-snap. So for Dalton, if you slide a safety over top of A.J. Green, A.J. Green's not getting the ball on that play. They're going to go to the most open player, or at least who should be the most open on that play, and it, it, it's way too easy to take him out of the game. I said a couple weeks ago, he's probably the easiest elite receiver to cover because you can basically cover him through scheme, and that shouldn't be it, especially when you have, I think he's a Hall of Fame-type talent. It's crazy to think that the offense is not flowing through A.J. Green, and instead they're using him to get guys like Brandon LaFell open and Alex oh, yeah. Erickson open, and it's crazy crazy that that's where the offense is right now and I I mean I almost want to give him all the credit in the world for handling like it is and maybe this is something that should probably maybe come down on his camp and his agents and you know somebody needs to get somebody in that front office on the phone and say look there needs to be a Randy ratio for AJ Green there needs to be a Calvin Johnson like look he better see x amount of targets per quarter per half per game it's I mean I give him a lot of credit for handling like he has but I'm going to get a little bit more in here. Um, look, obviously, you know, they had a lot of faith in John Ross and Joe Mixon here, and they thought this was going to, you know, be the final pieces of, you know, the fact that they could have put together almost like a batting, a base, if you want to use the baseball reference, a batting order type, you know, skill position set where every one of these guys was capable of making enough plays a game, you know, to, you know, obviously, you know, lead to some winning performances. Um, Joe Mixon, you know, I, I mean, you brought up the line. Is it all the line? Is it Joe Mixon? It's been a culmination of everything. At first, the line was really bad, and they were kind of figuring out what can we do. So they started, okay, we're going to do the ISO blocks and be a power team. No, that's not really working. You know what used to work? We're going to pull the left guard and right guard at the same time to the right side. Okay, that's not working. Maybe some more stretch zones. All right, that's not working. So as they've whittled away what they can do, which is not much in terms of run blocking, they also have started to lean more on Joe Mixon. At first it was, we're going to start Jeremy Hill at every 
every game and every half. And we still want to get Giovanni Bernard mixed in. So it was tough to get Hill. I mean, I'm sorry. It was tough to get Mixon consistent carries and consistent flow in the game. And I think he started to press a little bit and he wanted to break the big run. So it became as the offensive line and the offensive scheme was trying to figure out what they were doing. Mixon was trying to figure out what it took for him to be successful. As a rookie, when when nothing is working, you start, okay, maybe this doesn't work anymore. Maybe I can't hit the corner the way I did in college, so I need to keep it inside. Uh, okay, those holes aren't opening. So do you want, do I, am I supposed to be creative? Am I supposed to be, you know, just put my head down and take the three yards? And it looks like he's pressing to the point where he doesn't know what he's supposed to do. And then now what we're at, at this, you know, second half of the season um it looks like he's just going to hit the hole as hard as possible and then lift his head once he breaks free if he breaks free to look to make a guy miss um so they're kind of using him just as a battering ram and that's really not what joe he can be so much more he can be a receiving threat last week he had two catches for zero yards they're just not getting him the ball he's on pace to have less catches than leonard fournette in jacksonville they just they're they don't know what they're doing. It's like Todd Gurley with the Rams the last two years. And, I, you know, it makes me excited to watch the Rams and watch Gurley and how much they throw him the ball now and get him in space, get him moving, get him, you know, get some confidence in the guy other than just running the ball between the tackles. And I think that's what they need to do with Mixon because the offensive line is not going to be fixed overnight. It's not going to happen this year. But I still think you can get solid production from your running back. Um, and now for all accounts and purposes, obviously, you know, Joe, you know, there was a lot of, you know, the questions of, you know, the off-field, the incidents, uh, been a good soldier in his time so far in Cincinnati? Yeah, I think they actually really like him. Um, he's he's an energetic, he's a young guy. He's just constantly running around. And I remember in camp and he'd break off a long run and he'd go running around the field. Now, depending on if you're old school or not, you may not like this, but he's running around the outside of the field, high-fiving fans. And there, there was coaches that had to yell, Joe, get back in the huddle. Like, he's just <laughs> having a good time. He's a super fun guy he's young and that's when you make the mistakes and the what he did was not not excusable at all it, it, the Bengals stuck their neck out to draft him and I think that was the most frustrating part in the first half of the season when they weren't starting him or won't you weren't using him as much as possible you, you know you took this was a really good running back class this past year and they knew they wanted a back and they pretty much targeted Mixon in that second round. And they liked Elvin Cook, too. They liked Elvin Kamara also, which all of those guys seem to have good rookie years. But they took Mixon, and and they knew they were going to take some heat from it. Um, but And then they weren't giving him the ball, and they weren't creating for him, and they weren't designing plays for Mixon. And now they are, and they're treating him like a battering ram rather than the dynamic player he can be. So, you know, if you're going to do that and you're going to draft a guy with issues and character questions and where and fans are pretty much there's a lot of fans that said, I'm not going to watch this team if you draft Joe Mixon. If you're going to do that, you better make him a focal point. You better make it worth it so that fans see that and go, you know, he's a really good player and he's a young guy. And maybe I can look past it if he scores some touchdowns, because let's face it, that's what fans will do. And instead, the Bengals haven't been able to do that. No, it's it's, it's definitely understandable. And, you know, it, like, I like to hear that he was running around camp because I think for him, once he got to the NFL, it was like, look, I'm here. I, I, I'm still going to have to deal with this some, but I've gotten to where I want to be and let me just play ball. And look, you know, and I'm right with you. You know, that's an incident is about as ugly as it comes. But, I mean, it's okay for us to judge. But, look, we're not the ones making the decisions. We didn't put him in the position he is, and we just talk about it now that he's there. John Ross, uh, Look, I fell in love with this Washington program last fall. Uh, the, the the secondary, John, uh, you know, a couple of guys that are still there. 
what in the world is going on? This is the ninth overall pick, an absolute dynamo of a speed weapon to help you know open things up underneath. I thought from day one it was a bad spot for him because if they have a hard time getting A.J. Green the ball at times, what are you going to do with a guy who excels with going so deep with a quarterback whose arm doesn't translate to that? But what exactly is the deal? Uh, it's a lot of things. You know, when I go back to looking – I was looking back at some notes and some rumors and, and reports from pre-draft. Um, you knew they wanted a receiver. And then Corey Davis goes, Mike Williams goes, and they take John Ross. But it was always a, a feeling that they liked Ross. And there was a report that inside the building they were saying, if we get Ross and Mixon, we'll, we feel like we'll be unstoppable on offense. And that's how it played out. So it's interesting now that they can't find a way to use him. And he missed a lot of time. He was injured. He had to have soldier, shoulder surgery right after the draft. Uh, he tweaked his knee in camp and then in preseason. So, you know, he's had his scares and he's had to, he's had to sit and, and, and get healthy. Um, but besides that, you would think they would be able to get a few package plays for him or, or at least give him a section of the playbook that he's comfortable with. The Two weeks ago against the Titans, they, they had a vertical route for him. They had everything ready. Um, but like I said, this the, the pre-snap, post-snap with the Bengals offense, here's what the Titans showed. They showed a cover two um, pre-snap, and they wrote it, rotated into a cover one. So based on the pre-snap look, Ross, it, the Bengals asked the receivers to read the defense as well as the quarterback, and so they, they know where the ball's going. So with the cover two look, the ball's not going vertical on that point uh, uh, to the boundary receivers. That, that throws typically over the middle of the field to one of those routes. So the Titans switch into a cover one, and John Ross stops his route. He never saw the switch. So he doesn't think the ball's going to him on the vertical route. He kind of runs it half-assed, and you know he, the ball falls in front of him, and he, he walks to the sideline with his head down, um, and Marvin Lewis calls him out and really just drags him through the dirt and says he let the team down and he's got to be he's got to be prepared he's got to have his head into the game and this is what it takes to be a pro and all all that all all true stuff but he's a rookie that has barely played at all and when you're not creating for him and asking him just to be a piece of the offense because that's what they're doing right now when he is active uh it's like okay lafell needs a snap off you go in for lafell run run whatever route we call well every at this point in the season 11 games in 11 weeks in Every rookie should probably be able to do that at this point if you're going to be anybody. Ross hasn't had that. And if you want to get him going, you spent the ninth pick on him. You should want to get him going in an offense that's bad, in an offense that's lacking explosive plays, and an offense that's lacking speed. You should want to create a package or some plays for John Ross. They're running jet sweeps with Brandon LaFell and reverses with Alex Erickson, which Erickson's a fine player. But that can be Ross, and it, it, it makes you scratch your head that they can't figure out a way to get him on the field and use him. Uh, yes, he's made mistakes. He had a fumble in the Texans game on a reverse, yep. and then he he, he you know he, he misread the defense and didn't finish his route. These things are going to happen, but his talent alone should outweigh—his positive play should outweigh his negative if you give him the opportunity. Well, and this is kind of the thing I've noticed here with Cleveland is, you know, now with Hugh Jackson, you know, the defense is playing very well, which is great, but that's not great for Hugh Jackson because his calling card is offense. Uh, David Njoku, Duke Johnson, Seth DeVal, Deshaun Kaiser, these guys developing and you know starting to getting closer to looking like solid NFL players is what's going to save his butt, and this is not what he's doing. So, I mean, like, and this is what I see with Marvin Lewis. You know, you don't know how to get Mixon involved. You've got all that you had invested in John Ross, and you had not really sure how to get him involved. And you know what? 
go with, you know, start with a kiss play. Keep it simple, stupid. Something that where a guy like Ross is going to excel. And if he gets one catch for 15 yards, that could be it. I mean, I go back to Odell Beckham, which was a similar situation. Missed all of the summer. Missed the four weeks. Caught a touchdown pass week five against Atlanta. And that was it, man. I mean, the horse was out of the barn. That's the feeling I get from Ross, too. Uh, when you hear him speak, when you hear, you know, he's just kind of biding his time and he's really chomping right now. He wants that one play and it will take, and I think that's why they gave him that vertical route against the Titans. They kind of know this. If we can just create that little bit of spark, I, he's going to take off from there. And even Brandon LaFell said uh, the other day, he said, you know, he can see it in practice. He's he's turning the corner. He needs more snaps. And then they, they didn't activate him last week against Denver, or, or I should say Sunday, but they didn't activate him because they think Cody core is a better special teamer. Cody core, Sure, he's a punt gunner, but at the end of the day, your ninth pick needs to get on the field. And I think it's just one play away from really creating a spark. And I think he could change the offense and change the course for, for the rest of the year if he does break through. No, I, I do agree with you there. And, and the other thing is, is, I mean, you know, you were three and six going into last week's game. Look, if it's week 16 and you're worried about, you know, saving a playoff spot, I can understand maybe going towards a special teams route to save a game. But, you know, you, you, you're a head coach. You're going to rely on the first round running back and the second round, I mean, the first round round receiver, the second round running back that you drafted. Uh, guys, like I mentioned, uh, you know, Joe does, uh, he's on locked on bangles a lot done by James Rapian. We're going to get together later this week. Me and James will do a crossover between locked on Browns and locked on bangles. So go ahead and make sure you're giving that show a follow. Listen to those guys. Like I said, I've got the mybookie.ag picks. Uh, you play, you win, you get paid. Uh, Vikings giving three to Detroit this week. Uh, the Vikings are on a roll. Uh, you know, everybody wants to see Teddy Bridgewater. I can understand it. I really, really can. There's no reason you change anything that's going on with Minnesota right now. The team is rolling. They have faith in Keenum. Go ahead and take the Vikings, laying the three. Uh, Chargers, uh, right now it's laying one at Dallas. Dallas's O-line is in shambles. Here come Melvin Ingram. Here come Joey Bosa. My God, uh, the Chargers, you know, they're going to do one of these where they keep it close till about week 15 or week 16. If they don't actually find a way to get into this, go ahead, take the one point with the Chargers. Uh, Washington laying nine to the Giants. I'm going to take Washington here just because I don't see the Giants putting together this great of an effort twice in four days. What they did Sunday was impressive, and they played well at home. They played tough. I actually had some friends go into the game. They were actually upset as Giants fans. You know, they kind of realized the season was over. They wanted to get a glimpse of this Kansas City offense. And then they went and got that lovely, you know, 12 to 9, you know, I I don't even know what that nail biter, I guess, or, you know, snoozer, if you want to call it that or whatsoever. But uh, for the mybookie.ag picks this week, take the Vikes laying the 3, take the Chargers laying the 1, take the Redskins laying the 9, mybookie.ag, you play, you win, you get paid. Now, Joe, we're going to get back over to the D here. Um, and I, I've actually liked the last two draft classes, the guys, you know, some guys that they drafted. Uh, obviously, two of the guys from, you know, the 16 class never saw it down. Um, William Jackson and uh, Andrew Billings, you know, he was kind of everybody, you know, kind of loved him, the athlete that he was and as strong as he was. You know, William, uh, both those guys starting to step up a little bit. So talk a little about them before we get to the guys from 17. Yeah, Jackson uh, missed all year last year, and he could have come back from IR. And here's another strike against Marvin Lewis. He decided to um, activate Cedric Pierman off of IR return <laughs> because he likes special teams and never played Jackson. So 
that is what it is. And those are the things you deal with with Marvin Lewis. And that's why we're in the position we are with Ross. But with Jackson, so Jackson gets to play for the first time this year. And he's already starting behind guys like Adam Beckman-Jones and um, and Darquez Denard, who's actually a guy who's broken out finally. He hasn't had the chance to play either. And that's the Bengals have done this at corner. They sat Drake Kirkpatrick for three years almost, two and a half years. Darquez Denard, two and a half years. Now William Jackson in a second year. They haven't been able to sit him because he has been that good. Uh, he's demanding snaps and he's pretty much taken over as the outside starter uh when dark west denard kicks inside and covers the slot and nickel uh pac-man jones has been dealing with injuries so it's kind of helped them give jackson the role even though they don't want to do that because they love their veterans and they're loyal to their veterans but jackson has played that well and he's easily their best corner uh he missed last week because he's dealing with a toe injury but these he'll be ready to go this week it seems uh, but ball skills, man, I, I love ball skills for corners. It's what I hang my head on every time I, I watch these guys pre-draft. Jackson was my number one corner that year. Um, and it's because he can make a mistake and he doesn't, he doesn't freak out. He doesn't panic. He, he knows he can recover. He knows if he looks up, he'll locate the ball quickly. He'll get a, get a hand on it. And he's done that plenty of times. He got beat by T Y Hilton uh, a few weeks ago against the Colts, but you know what? He turned, he ran upfield, located the ball, got his hand in between Hilton's hands, and stripped the ball away. And that's just what he's been. And he's been very, very good, and he's been a, a better tackler than expected for a long, lanky guy. Uh, so he's turning into potentially a star for that defense. And I think we may be a year away from it, but I think everybody's very happy with Jackson right now. And then Andrew Billings, again, he missed all year last year, knee injury. It was They didn't say specifically what it was. It seems like it was microfracture. Uh, and so they knew he'd be slow this year in, in getting back. Uh, they kept Pat Sims. They drafted Ryan Glasgow this year, and we'll get to him. But uh, So they kind of brought Billings along really slow. And, again, they lean on their veterans is why they had Sims starting at nose tackle. And Billings was getting about eight snaps, ten snaps a game. And then Sims goes down with an ankle injury. Billings plays. This is now three weeks uh, he started. And he's gotten better every single week and he's flashing consistently against the run. I mean, he is a powerful raw strength kind of guy. It's a, it's rare raw strength. And at six, one, three he has the body and the size to do it. He, it, when he plays low and that's most of the time because he has the natural leverage, but when he's low and fires out of there, he is super powerful and he doesn't have the agility to really, once he knifes into the backfield to really make a play, but man, he, he causes disruption and he allows the other guys to, to make plays. So Billings, it looks like another keeper and a really good fourth round steal uh if they hit on both those two those are two starters on defense for a long time because billings is really young too i believe he's just 21 maybe turning 22 soon and, and jackson uh, being a first rounder and being a young guy I, they're gonna be solid players for them for a long time yeah no billings age was always a question even during the draft process he's yeah list, he's listed at 22 uh, but whatever but i mean you, you just nice to see the kid excel and one thing was, is, and it was actually funny that you brought up that, that nobody really ever mentioned what the injury was, but there were some guys saying, look, uh, you know, microfracture for a kid who was a power lifter at such a young age kind of makes a lot of sense. So, you know, maybe yep. it was and probably was. So, but now going over here now, uh, obviously, you know, mentioned Glasgow, but they went ahead and they, graft, they drafted two pass rushers who I, I really, really liked. And I was really surprised at kind of where they got them. Because it seemed like these guys slid a little bit in Carl Lawson and Jordan Willis. Uh, give me a little rundown on uh, you know the, the, uh, those three up the D front, how they're working out. And the surprising part is they normally like long, tall, big defensive ends, and I think they realized that 
that wasn't the way to go. And there, every year you get those guys and they end up being more athlete than football player. And they saw it with Marcus Hunt and Will Clark just previous uh, to drafting these guys. So uh, they were ready for a change. And when they go, I think they wanted a first round defensive end. There was a really good defensive end class. But after Solomon Thomas goes high, uh, Derek Barnett, they felt like was a little bit of a reach for them because they wanted to get John Ross. Uh, you come into the second round, they targeted Mixon. If it wasn't Mixon, it was going to be Cook or Kamara. So it was always third round. Who can we get there at that time? And I was shocked that Jordan Willis was there. I didn't like, a lot of people liked Willis. Maybe he's a late first rounder, early second target. And I was kind of iffy on that. I, I thought for a guy that tested extremely well, it, that isn't always what you saw on tape. He was a little bit stiff at times. He runs that arc really wide. And yeah, he's, he, um, He's a high motor type guy, and he's shown that with the Bengals. But that potential and that in that package, and he's was super productive in college. That's a guy you definitely take a chance on in the third round. And so far, he's been okay. He's flashed a bunch. He hasn't looked bad at all. He's been really good against the run when he has played, uh, and he's getting about twenty to twenty-five snaps per game, mostly in the base defense. So he's not getting the same opportunities that. The next guy in fourth round, Carl Lawson gets because Lawson's strictly playing right defensive end and nickel. So he's out there more than than Willis and he's getting in prime pass for our situations. And Lawson has surprised me and I liked him. I didn't think he'd be this good. And and probably because the testing numbers weren't excellent. Uh, but when he shows it, man. He is strong, super, super strong. And for a guy that, that is, is, is compact as he is, so he gets low under these offensive tackles. And that's, that speed to power is is real, man. He threatens that edge. Those uh, those offensive tackles overextend, and he comes back in with a straight arm power and put and just lifts these guys off their feet. Um, he reminds me of Trent Cole with a little bit more power, I would say, if he, you know, once he's a veteran and, and he fully tunes his game. He's been a pressure and and disruption machine for them he's really changed their pass rush it's something they really lacked uh the last few years is that speed quick twitch guy and he's had it um he's not getting the sacks you can see sometimes where he's got the short arms or just a little twinge of stiffness uh and and that's fine because he's going to be a disruptive player for a long time um and he's had a really really good rookie year ryan glasgow was a guy i liked uh definitely for the mid rounds an overachiever but just that tough guy that's going to do his job and do it well and do it as a rookie too, which a lot of times those inside guys are, are on the defensive and offensive line. You don't see their full potential in that rookie year. Uh, but Glasgow has looked really, really good. He's been a solid contributor uh, doing his job, playing nose tackle and three tech. Cause they really don't have a backup three tech athletic guy behind Geno Atkins. So they've been using Glasgow in that role. And that's really probably not what he's cut out for. Maybe really not where he's going to be maximized, but it doesn't matter. He's playing inside and he, he, you know, for a rookie, he's holding on the offensive lineman and he's not getting called for it, you know, so he can allow the linebackers to roam free and make tackles when he's in the game. I don't feel like they're missing anything by putting him, in, putting him in there. And that's really a lot to say for a trench player in his rookie year. Uh, I, I'm, it's probably speaking positive being a Bengals fan, but if he ended up being Kyle Williams in Buffalo, I wouldn't be surprised because just the flashes he's shown already uh, in his rookie season makes you think he's a future starter for them. And, and if they ended up with Billings and Glasgow back-to-back years and those guys end up being really good players for them, that that's that's a nice way to replenish this defensive line considering you get Willis and Lawson also. Exactly. I mean, you, you get a lot of youth there and, you know, exactly. I mean, you look across, you know, to Cleveland, that is one of their strengths right now. Um, you know, 
everybody wants the sexy picks, but nobody realizes that a lot of times you need the meat and potatoes to get things going. Um, I've got, uh, you know what, I'll save my two questions I have for you. Uh, you know, we, I do get to listen to questions, and it's great, but, you know, so much of them get covered within the show. But this one was actually good here. Uh, this is from Who Day Know-It-All. Whose fan base is best at complaining and bitching, the Browns or the Bengals? I don't know. This is a tough one. You got the more experience here, so what do you got? Oh, I don't know. Um, see, I'm part of the bitching and complaining, so I, it's, it's hard for me to – I got called out by by Brandon LaFell on Twitter yesterday, too, so it kind of made me feel bad. Um, <laughs> but in because, listen, when you're bad teams and when you're franchises that don't have the ring – you always get trumped by these teams and these fan bases that do. And so you always sound like you're whining. You always sound like you're complaining, but without that ring, without that sustained success, even things are bad. Things look bad. And I guess if you're a Browns fan, what do you have to really be excited about right now? Besides having a lot of draft picks the last few years and and potentially into next year. Uh, But besides that, you could be starting over again at head coach and potentially quarterback again for the Bengals fans. They've squandered a great Super Bowl window from 2011 to 2016. And nothing is worse in the NFL. When you actually load your team up to be a Super Bowl contender and you're held back by the head coach or the quarterback or just dumb injuries or things that, that are out of your control or a blow up that was so spectacular in 2015 with the Bengals defense with perfect and Pac-Man Jones, you're going, you're going to be bitter. And that's what the fan base is. So I, it's a, it's, it's a push, but I think it's, it's justified why they're so whiny and bitchy. No, that's definitely a part you can understand. And that was even, you know, when this opportunity came for this, everyone's like, do you know what you're getting into? I'm like, well, you know, and I always joke about Mark Schofield. I'm like, well, could you imagine talking about the Patriots five days a week and having to come up with, you know, the vocabulary, the adjectives, the adverbs to say at the end of the day, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady are outstanding. Right. I mean, when your team isn't very good, I mean, it really leads to some fun podcasting. It really does. But it's kind of funny where uh, the way you ended that up, and this is one of my first questions. What are the odds that Marvin Lewis coaches the Cincinnati Bengals in 2018? If you would ask me two weeks ago, or even one week ago, uh, at three and six, I would have said very little chance that he's coaching. Um, it seems it seemed, it seemed like he was checked out. It seemed like a lot of people were and ready to move on. Um, within the within that building, but now that they're four and six, and oh, they, I know, and, and, and I don't believe that they're good enough. But they're, they honestly think they can get into it, and it's because they can. The Ravens are ahead of them. The Ravens aren't good. The Ravens five, got twenty guys, guys. Worst five and five team I've ever right. seen in my life. They've got twenty guys on IR. The Bills at five and five. The Bengals already own the tiebreaker, and the Bills are trying to tank the best they can. It seems like they're who is in front of them for a playoff spot. They could honestly get into it. It doesn't mean they're going to do anything with it, but if they did, I could see Marvin Lewis getting another year. And so, if you would have asked me a week ago, I would have said ninety nine percent chance Lewis is gone, and I think the entire organization is ready, and I think Lewis is ready. But if they find a way to get competitive and stay in the playoff hunt, and, and man, if they if they got a spot, I could see them going one more year with Marvin Lewis. And, man, if he did turn this team around, maybe he would deserve it. So, you know, what you're saying is that C-minus effort, just enough to possibly stick around and get yourself into the next grade, right? 
That's the Bengals. That's how you would describe them, yes. Well, well especially uh, not giving up any extra shekels over there in Cincinnati. Um, now, little eyes toward draft 18. Position, player, something you need specifically that you like for this team for, you know, come April? Yeah, currently they're slotted for the eighth pick. I could see them falling anywhere between 6 and 12 at this point with the way the rest of the schedule uh, lays out. They would, I think, I think everyone would love them to take another offensive lineman. And now they just did with the way he and Fisher, what seemed like just last year, but you know, this is going into year three with them and they aren't good. So you have to look at offensive tackle again. And if, if it's McGlinchey or um, man, I'm forgetting his name now in, in, in Texas, but it, Connor Williams. If those, yes. Thank you. If they're worthy of the top eight pick, I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, neither of them look like slam dunk tackle prospects, but, they look like a, a first-round prospect. So if you end up number 12, number 10, yeah, it'll probably be considered. I also think at some point, and it may be the fan in me, you have to look at quarterback. And I think this is one of those classes where you can have a few guys there in the first round that are worthy of it. And, and if you're picking 10th, I mean, I love Baker Mayfield. And I think his attitude and his energy um, would be awesome for the Bengals to start anew again and start with an, a new aura of the team. Uh, but there's also other quarterbacks. I mean, I, I think Rosen probably ends up going before that. Allen, more than likely, it goes top 10. Darnold, if he comes out, which I don't know why he would or if he should. Uh, teams seem to like him if he goes top six. But point being, I think offensive line, quarterback, and if somehow neither of those two were worthy of the pick and they wanted to go another direction, the other premium spot is uh, – Penetrating three tech. Geno Atkins at 30, 31 years old, entering the last year of his deal once we're in April. Um, they could probably look to secure that spot or give him uh, some rest or get another guy in there for the interior pressure and nickel situations. If it's a, a Hurst, you know, for Michigan at that spot, if it's at 10, if that's worthy of the, of the pick, sure, I could see that. Um, so early right now, but I think offensive line is easily the one you point to, and I'm still hopeful for quarterback. Okay, and let me just, you know, one more just because of what you said. If Marvin goes, are the Andy Dalton days done? I think they could be because it seems like the Bengals would want to go in a direction of a new offensive coach. Now, you could go one of two ways with that. You can go multiple ways, but one of two ways would be uh, you bring in an offensive coach that convinces you he can get the best out of Andy Dalton. He can get that 2015 year, and this might be Hugh Jackson, but it, it, it you can get that <laughs> you 2015 year. I know, and I don't want him because he's – you don't fail. Normally, coaches don't fail once and have a good track record after. You can't fail twice, and I expect you to just automatically be good at, at, the, at your third stop. But the familiarity, the Bengals love that. I could see him, them taking back Hugh Jackson. But if he convinces them, I can get the best out of Andy Dalton, then I think they would stay with him. If the new offensive guy comes in and says, listen, we've got a top-10 pick, um, I really like these few quarterbacks. If one of them's there, I think we can be better if we take one of those guys. And I, I do think Andy Dalton has value around the rest of the league. There's a lot of teams way worse. The Bengals are in quarterback purgatory, but they're not in quarterback hell. And I think there's a lot of teams in quarterback hell. that Absolutely. Would... And that's yes. why, I mean, and you see now the free agent class should be decent. And it's almost like mind-boggling. It's like, well, why should the free agent class be decent? You know, teams are going to move on from quarterbacks. I mean, it's it's astonishing to even think that because, you know, like in the whole Tyrod Taylor situation in Buffalo, well, you, you traded everybody away, and he's yeah. not the problem. 
Yeah. And I live in Buffalo and I see a lot of that. And it's, it's interesting because if you don't feel like the quarterback, because I see a lot of it with the Dalton and the Bengals situation. If you don't think the quarterback is the answer, and I think you need a top 10 quarterback, if you really want to compete for a championship, if you really want to be competitive year in and year out, you need that franchise really, really good quarterback. And if you don't believe your guy is that, do whatever it takes to get that guy. Do whatever it takes to put yourself in position to draft that guy. And if that's what Buffalo's doing, I've got no problem. If they are cons- if they're confused and they don't know what Taylor is and they can't design their offense around Taylor and they're trying to make Taylor fit into their offense that, that isn't designed for him or for whatever reason they think Peterman's the guy, then I think they're dumb. But if they're positioning themselves to get the quarterback, then I think it's a bold move and it's something I wish the Bengals would do. Uh it just I can't give that team or that franchise the benefit of the doubt because they've screwed it up for so long now. <laughs> and that's kind of just I mean, and that's the thing. You come down to some of these franchises, it's just like they end up with the reputation of look, I mean, even if it's gold, you're gonna find some way to turn it to crap because that's just what you do after so many two years, you know? Yeah, for for sure. And that's Buffalo of 17, 18 years now, so all right. Well, Joe Goodberry, I want to thank you so much from the Bengals Wire. Guys, like I said, you can always catch him on Locked On Bengals. He's on a lot with James. Uh, Tuesday edition of Locked On Browns brought to you by MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. Joe, my man, have a great Thanksgiving with the family, and we'll have you back sometime soon. Please do. Have a good one. Right back at you, buddy.